Welcome to Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. In our last episode, we began reading and unpacking the famous story of the wise men, or magi, coming and bringing gifts to the baby Jesus. In this episode, we will read and unpack the second half of that story. Now, I made the case in the last episode that the wise men are not mere curious astrologers on a spiritual quest, but rather they are envoys from an eastern kingdom sent on a diplomatic mission to recognize the new king of Israel. The star that they follow constitutes a common literary signal in stories from that period. These celestial signs signaled the rise of new kings or new kingdoms. When it was the rise of a new kingdom, the transition from the old to the new was never smooth and often involved tragic violence. The second half of the story that we will read and unpack in this episode is no different. The ironic and possibly humorous scene of elite wisdom men bowing before a peasant baby and presenting gifts to him turns into a tragic tale of a refugee family escaping the slaughter of innocent children ordered by the reigning monarch. My name is Bert Newton. And this is episode 5 of Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. One thing that I did not explain in the last episode is how a star can lead the wise men in such a literal sense as to stop over the house where they find Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Many commentators just sort of ignore this strange detail. They talk about the wise men as astrologers, somehow charting a course by the stars, looking at one star in particular that leads them to the general area. But that would not account for Matthew's statement, They set out, from Jerusalem, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. Astrologers would not be following a moving star that stops over a particular place. This detail seems very odd if we are dealing with mere astrology. But it is not so strange if we read the text literarily. By that I mean if we read the text paying attention to literary signals that the original audience would have noticed. If an ancient Israelite audience hears a story that includes a light going ahead or guiding a group of people and then stopping at a destination, that would remind them of a central event in their own national story, namely the exodus out of Egypt. The story of their escape from slavery in Egypt included being guided through the wilderness 
by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if the connection between the wise men following a star and the Israelites in the Exodus following a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire seems speculative to you, then consider that as our story in Matthew proceeds, the parallels with the Exodus story only become thicker. And that is the subject of today's episode. So let's pause and read today's text. Matthew 2, 13-23 Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, She refused to be consoled, because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. And there he made his home in a town called Nazareth. So what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Now, since I introduced the passage suggesting a parallel to the story of Israel's exodus out of Egypt, you probably noticed how often Egypt is mentioned in this passage in Matthew. And you probably noticed the prophetic quote that actually specifically names the exodus out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. We'll get to that soon. And if you're really perceptive and you know the exodus story, you may have picked up on the parallel tragic slaughter of the children. But even so, you maybe were confused by the direction that Jesus' family flees. If this story in Matthew parallels the Exodus, then why does Jesus' family escape into Egypt rather than out of Egypt? Which is what the Israelites do in the Exodus. They escape out of Egypt. Well, let's examine the Exodus parallels so that we can make sense of them. Let's start with the most shocking and tragic part of the story, the tragic slaughter of the innocents. In the Exodus story, Pharaoh orders the slaughter of all male Israelite babies, first ordering the midwives to kill them, and then when that fails, ordering them to be thrown into the river. In our story in Matthew, King Herod orders the slaughter of all children under the age of two. In the Exodus story, Moses escapes this slaughter. 
In Matthew, Jesus escapes the slaughter. In the Exodus story, the Israelites evade the grasp of the monarch. In Matthew, Jesus and his family evade the grasp of the monarch. And although the direction of escape is opposite in each story, with the Israelites escaping out of Egypt and Jesus' family escaping into Egypt, the words that are spoken by God or an angel to Moses and Joseph are almost exactly the same. In Exodus 4.19, God tells Moses to go back to Egypt because those seeking your life are dead. In our passage in Matthew, an angel tells Joseph to take his family back to Israel because those seeking the child's life are dead. The words in the Greek are almost verbatim the same. The comparison is between the Greek of Matthew and the Greek of the ancient Greek translation of Exodus, with which the author of Matthew is most likely intimately familiar. One reason the flight of the Israelites and that of the Holy Family go in opposite directions is that the parallel in Matthew is not between Israel and Egypt, but rather between Egypt and Rome. That is the parallel in Matthew. Rome is the Egypt of Matthew. Herod, a Roman puppet king, is Pharaoh. Herod, like Pharaoh, is a non-Israelite monarch that oppresses the people of Israel. While Herod tried to present himself as an Israelite and was, in fact, from Idumea, a nation that had been enfolded into Israel during an earlier period in Israel's history, he was not accepted by the people because he had been crowned king of the Jews in Rome by a Roman senate. He then came back to Israel with Roman troops and conquered Israel for Rome. He was an occupier, a Roman puppet king. He was to the Jews in the early first century essentially the same as Pharaoh had been to them in the story of the Exodus. This is a very important point because Matthew will, from this point on, repeatedly use Exodus imagery with the idea that Jesus is a new Moses, leading the people in a new Exodus out from the slavery of the Roman occupation. Whereas in the Exodus story, the slavery occurs in a foreign land, in Matthew the slavery occurs in the land of Israel itself. Rome, through its puppet government in Jerusalem, has enslaved the people of Israel. Jesus will lead them to liberation. How that happens will be a mystery that unfolds as the story proceeds. But at this point in the story, Matthew provides us with Exodus imagery that sets the stage for this new Exodus. The Jesus as a new Moses theme will show up repeatedly throughout Matthew. Matthew will present us with a picture of Jesus sitting on a mountain, giving a new law in chapters 5 to 7. Matthew will later show Jesus doing food miracles in the desert. But Jesus will not only be portrayed as a new Moses, Jesus will also be shown to embody his people Israel. Our passage today bears this theme. Jesus is here presented as embodying Israel. 
Matthew does this by having Jesus with his family go down into Egypt and then come back up out of Egypt, just as Israel does in the books of Genesis and Exodus. Matthew goes out of his way to point this out to us, saying that this happens so that the words of the prophet are fulfilled, Out of Egypt I called my son. Of course, this line from the prophet Hosea, Out of Egypt I called my son, is, in its original context, an historical statement about Israel, not a foretelling of what happens to Jesus. But as I mentioned in episode 2 of this series, The fulfillment of prophecy in Matthew is not literal, but literary. In this case, the literary point that Matthew makes is that Jesus is Israel. Jesus and Israel are both the Son of God. Hosea had previously spoken of Israel as the Son of God, and Matthew has presented Jesus as the Son of God. So at a literary level, Jesus and Israel are the same. Jesus embodies Israel. Jesus, like Israel, goes down into Egypt and comes back up out of Egypt. The exodus from Egypt is not the only part of Israel's story that Matthew makes use of in this passage. The passage also alludes to the story of the exile in Babylon. After the slaughter by Herod of the children in and around Bethlehem, Matthew quotes Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. This poignant poetic passage from Jeremiah in its original context describes the anguish felt by Israelites due to the Babylonian invasion, which involved the slaughter of many civilians, many children, as well as the exile of the Israelite ruling class. Also, it is worth noting that some Israelites, including Jeremiah, escaped the Babylonian invasion by going down into Egypt. And that may be another reason that Matthew has the Holy Family escaping into Egypt. So this story in Matthew invokes both the slavery in Egypt and the Babylonian oppression. Matthew seems to be saying that Jesus relives these events of Israel's history in his early childhood. Jesus literarily experiences or bears the suffering of his people as a young child. You see, Jesus bearing the suffering of his people is a central theme in Matthew. Later in chapter 8, Matthew will quote Isaiah 53 as a passage that Jesus fulfills by bringing healing to the masses. Matthew will quote this part of Isaiah 53. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. The original audience, being familiar with that text, would have likely in their minds continued with the next verse of Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, while many Christians read this passage in Isaiah 53 as a prophecy about Jesus, the original Jewish audience 
would have understood it as being about Israel. The suffering servant in this part of Isaiah is identified in the text of Isaiah as Israel. But in Matthew, Jesus is Israel. Matthew presents Jesus as embodying his people, as a liberator who carries in his own body, in his own life, the suffering of his people. As this series proceeds, I will argue that Jesus' crucifixion is, at one level, the bearing of the suffering of his people. Jesus literarily, and then literally, bears the suffering of his people. He is Israel. He has lived Israel's suffering and will lead Israel to its healing and redemption. So in this story of the escape of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus into Egypt, we get the first strong hints of an Exodus theme in the Gospel of Matthew, a foreshadowing that Jesus will be a new Moses, leading his people out from under foreign oppression. We also get the first imagery of Jesus as Israel, bearing its suffering. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah, leading his people through the horrors and sadness of a brutal oppression. This theme will carry through to the crucifixion and then beyond the crucifixion to resurrection, healing, and liberation. My name is Bert Newton, and this is Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel.